My guest rides a unicycle. I did say a unicycle. And runs one of the fastest growing companies in the U.S. We're talking to Tyler Gage next. This is Book Circle Online. Featuring in-depth discussion, insight, news, and commentary on all the world's leading book titles and their authors. And now, Book Circle Online. I like hearing nice, just regular music sometimes. Mm. I don't mind dance music or things like that. I like to hear something that's just like a guitar and a, a vocal. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Especially in the background. Yeah. In my garden. There you go. That's where I'm in my garden. Hi, you guys. Welcome to Book Circle Online. I'm listening to Mason Jennings. This song right now is really good. Um, and I'm James Hudson, your host, and we're going to talk. I have an amazing guest, you guys. You know, I love coming on this network and bringing you amazing, amazing people. When this person came across my desk, I was like, yes, yes, yes. And I think actually my email said yes, yes, yes. Like, for real. Like, I wasn't not even joking. Um, this book is, I mean, it's seriously run, don't walk. It's really good. So let me just read a few of his credits for his young life so far. He was one of the 30 under 30 entrepreneurs. Um, Citizen of the Year by Specialty Food Association. I believe he had another another award, but just a bunch of those. Went to Brown University, and this is what he did he, for twelve years. Was it twelve years? You were with the indigenous twelve years. Twelve yeah. years. Yeah. You were, he was in the he was with the elders of the Amazon, and it's like the emphasis of this book about his journey. It's an honest, raw, funny uh, book about his journey into going to the Amazon jungle, finding this leaf, and building this business and giving back to the community. I mean, all, it's social entrepreneurism at its best. The book is called. Fully Alive. Fully Alive, which I love that title, which your company name is means Fully Alive, doesn't it? Does, it? it does. Runa. Yep. The company is Runa. They have energy drinks. We're going to talk to this guy. His name is Tyler J. Guy Gage. How are you? Good, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, you know, I mean, seriously, this book was so honest. Hmm. It was so, it wasn't like, I went down there and I just found myself, like, it was, I didn't feel like it was any kind of romanization of it. Hmm. It felt like it was, here's kind of what I went, went through, yeah. some of the challenges I had. Mm-hmm. Uh, how I dealt with those challenges and how I still found myself in this business. Mm. Um, one of the questions I really want to ask that, because I'm also an author too, I have books mm-hmm. out too. When you decided to write this book, was there anything you were like, I can't talk about that? <laughs> well, I started the book by the moment when I almost got kicked out of the company I started. Given that that's where I opened <laughs> the book, I think that was a pretty good yes. bar of like, there's not a whole lot that okay. I was, I was going to yeah. hide from. Um, yeah, and it was definitely a process as well of checking in with you know the rest of my team and people who I went through intense growth processes with to make sure that people were cool with me sharing my challenges and lessons and reflections on stupidity and ways that I grew, um, but was very grateful for the kind of support to be as vulnerable and transparent as I could be because... You know, so this whole concept being fully alive in the Amazon isn't this idea of that we should be perfectly inspiring people all the time, but it's really how the indigenous people look to weaknesses and struggles as teachers and as invitations to learn. That's what I liked about it. Yeah, and that, so it's this concept of valuing and embracing the challenges and valuing what they force us to do that we might not do otherwise, and the richness and fulfillment and meaning that comes from that. So the that's stories why, are oriented That's there. why I like this book, because I'm a person, anybody in my practice knows, and people who know me on these on my these TV shows, I don't, there's such a thing as perfection. Perfection is just mm-hmm. like this weird, mythical thing. There's no, no perfection. But there are things that happen, it's okay that they happen. And your book was kind of like, this happened and this, and I, I did this, and I should have done this. And, I, and like, but you... Push through. They showed you how to push through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I look at it this way of like digging deeper, and I think in the, even this whole idea of socially responsible business. Yeah. I think there's similarly these ideas of ways we should be and we yes. should be responsible. But what I found was that in being forced to dig deeper in who I was, what I cared about, and really the spirituality of this leaf that we brought to market, mm-hmm. that it was going in that direction. That then the success and the support came forward. And I think the universe works like that in strange ways where the more we're willing to be a bit vulnerable to show up and access parts of ourselves that have more meaning and texture that then that attracts and magnetizes more resources going forward. That's true. I learned it. I learned it in the last year. Um, I lost my brother a year ago mm, this I'm month. Sorry to hear that. Thank you. And I cried on TV for the first time mm. on my shows. I was kind of thinking my fans were in support when I came back. I was gone for a month to handle that. Mm. And I noticed that once I cried on TV once, <laughs> like I've cried since there many times, but like, it opened me up a little more, mm-hmm. and I found opportunities come my direction, professional opportunities. Like, oh, my God, you were so great on this, mm-hmm. or you're so – I found my work got a little more richer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. That makes perfect isn't that, sense. Isn't that funny? So, yeah. yeah. 
It was like, you're afraid. Yeah. But. And that's where somebody asked me yesterday, they're like, are you afraid that in writing this kind of book at this point in your career that it's going to close doors for you? And for me, it's actually the opposite. I think that the times in my life I've been the most vulnerable, that's when the most doors have opened. Mm-hmm. And the direction I want. Like, I think as people, I'm just so, I think such, I, I, can I swear? Yeah, go ahead. I think it's bullshit, this yes. idea that we can't bring our whole selves to the work that we do. We yes. spend so much yes, time yes, yes. Uh, working and creating things for for good and to support our families and support ourselves. Mm-hmm. And if we can't bring our vulnerabilities and our fears and our weaknesses, like it's just not worth it. So if someone wants yeah. to judge me for showing up as a person and a human with my own anxieties and weirdness, yeah. then it's not the path that I want to go. Because it was part of my generation's fault, and the one before that, we were taught... You can't be emotional at work. Mm-hmm. We're being taught emotional is bad. Mm-hmm. And not emotional isn't bad. Yeah. And bringing some emotion to work is not bad. And, and in a certain way, if it's, if it's constructive mm-hmm. in certain ways. So you telling your story, that people start judging you because you were vulnerable telling all your shortcomings. And something's wrong, I think. Is there something wrong with that? I mean, it's yeah. it's like you're showing you're a human being mm-hmm. who found your way. And other folks have probably gone through some similar stuff as you did. Yeah, exactly. And that's where I I want to put that forward to yeah. sort of invite other people. And, you know, I talk about some of my struggles early on with anxiety and depression. Yeah, you do, yes. I think yes. there's a great trend now of more and more people, really successful people, starting to say, hey, I struggle with these things too. Mm-hmm. And it's that shame and that hiding that really makes it all worse. Mm-hmm. And it's a main thing I found in these shamanic teachings mm-hmm. in the Amazon is that anytime you hide from something, you're giving it strength. Yeah. And it's this really clear thing where if you try and mm-hmm. try and bury it, it's that repression mm-hmm. that gives it the strength to then come and uh, work you in ways that you can't see. So it's inviting it closer and finding healthy ways mm-hmm. to express and communicate and feel mm-hmm. that um, adds a lot of value and a lot of power. It does. And I think, well, I feel like if you live in your strength and you live, even if you live in your weakness, you're still strong. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I frame it in the book. I talk about finding strength in vulnerability. Yes. And that to me is like... That kind of path where I link it to another idea, this idea they say um, in the indigenous world, red man medicine makes you yes. feel bad, that <laughs> makes you feel good. good yeah. And white man medicine, medicine makes you feel good, good that makes, makes you feel bad. bad. Yes. And there's almost just this natural flow to life where you kind of got to go down. It's like that kind of roller coaster. You got to yes. go down to get the momentum to go up. Right. So it's it's heading right in to those struggles as the portal and knowing that when the fears and the tension comes yeah. up, that's a good sign because right. it means that there's potency there. And you're fully alive. Fully alive. See, I'm not doing this. In the true sense of the word. Seriously, I'm not mean, yeah. like, I mean, it's a thing. Fear isn't always a bad thing. Yeah, no. Right? And it shouldn't debilitate you. Mm-hmm. You should handle it head on and feel it and work through it. Yeah. And, make, and make it work for you, I always feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, one of the things, very practically, like, for the book, I was feeling a lot of fear come up mm-hmm. of, you know, book launch and all these things. Yes. Uh, And I was noticing, even practicing yoga, we were talking about this, where I could feel right on the surface, like the thoughts and the feelings of like, (sighs) and so what I, what I frequently do is if I feel that like kind of on the surface, I bring it fully in. Mm. So I almost, I'll start breathing. Like I'm thinking like, okay, okay, oh, this is going to be horrible. It's going to be horrible. And just start kind of getting into those thoughts just to like, let them come through and be like, okay, yeah, I didn't have to push it out. I just brought it through and that fear's there and I can acknowledge it and bring it through and then, and then let it go. So that's actually given me a lot of help very recently in the last week of just <laughs> recognizing that stuff's there. Yeah. It's very natural, letting it flow through and then using it as a way to be awake. Yeah, and, and fully alive. Yep. Let me keep saying it 10, 20 times in the show. All right. Uh, fully alive. <laughs> um, were there any new perspectives you gained after you wrote the book? Well, I would say during and after. Okay. Um, growing a business is extremely intense, yes. and yes, yes. a lot of the last uh, several years have been at my edge of execution. And it's been challenging for me as someone who really values reflection and integration. I talk about the shamanic work. I've done a lot of this moving from sort of ingestion to digestion. Mm -hmm. And I intentionally put myself building a business in a heavy ingestion period for many years on end. So I would say a lot of what was constructive for me was then taking a step back to have a bit of space to digest things that kind of made sense or there were some threads that um, had lessons, but then to bring the two together, understand the consequences they had for me. Um, yeah, so I think the spaciousness, which is a like big that. lesson that uh, I reflect a lot on, like gave that. me a lot of value. Okay, we're going to go back a little bit. So we're going to go a little bit in, and I'll make sure I have one. my one thing here? Uh, let's see. There's a story, which I, no, but I, I remember it, though. That's why I, I, I read the book. Um, you had two friends. Mm-hmm. 
But their names were, they were the same, like Pat and Matt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just hilarious. Yeah. Just hilarious. Matt, I'm like, that's, I'm like, that's just hilarious to me. <laughs> um, because they introduced you to social entrepreneurism mm-hmm. and, and, yeah. and, and an enterprise. Mm-hmm. You didn't know anything about that. Yeah. I mean, I don't, seriously, I didn't know about that until a few years ago. Yeah. I mean, I same. Did, I mean, I, did, I didn't yeah. really know. I'm like, what is that? And you were like, what does that mean? Yeah. And cause you watched them tell their stories, how they go to Thailand and places, mm-hmm. and, they, and they were telling their stories. So before them, did you have any thoughts of going into business on your own at all? Do you feel like you because you went to college, you went to Brown, you did all yeah. that, but did you ever think zero? That's like, yeah, okay, yeah, <laughs> zero slash negative, depending on how you look at it. Yeah, you know, I was one of those students where I intentionally avoided taking any math or science course, so all of my courses in school were like that's funny, eco poetics, and <laughs> you know, okay, wait, first of all, what is eco poetics? Yeah. Eco poetics is uh, poetry inspired by the environment so basically oh, the intersection yeah. is sort of environmentalism and, and poetry I, remember, um, I, I have yeah. a poetry book out I think, I, I think one of my poems about a tree yeah alright would that be eco-poetics yeah yeah so guys like Robert Bly and those kind of guys oh yeah, like, heard it, yeah yes. that kind of vibe um, <laughs> you heard that word before yeah so that that was like my vibe of things and uh, I was excited my plan after graduating is to go back down to the Amazon and keep doing my research and study yeah. the languages and just yeah. really immerse myself in that way but it was the summer before my last semester that I'd been down in the jungle and had a really powerful experience. One afternoon, a man of the community told me this incredible story about how his grandfather's spirit lived in one of the big trees by the village. The next day, he came back having just cut it down with a chainsaw with wow. a bunch of guys uh, was getting ready to sell it. And me, for my like Bay Area environmental, yes. you know, arrogant, <laughs> went up and was like, "Hey, man, that's kind of contradictory that you can spouse all these values and you know mystical ideas, mm-hmm. and then you're cutting down this tree. Like, what's the deal?" He told you, didn't he? He did. So he looked at me and he said, well, if you had a choice between cutting down a tree or not having money to send your kid to school, what would your choice be? You know, if it was between cutting down a tree and not having money to send your mom to the hospital if she was sick, what's what's your perspective on that? Yeah, I got it. Thank yeah, you. Got it. Like, oh, ooh. And that, that felt like yeah. a big punch in the gut and then started changing my perspective of there's so much richness to these cultures, but they're not isolated off in the jungle anymore. They're really trying to figure out how they can carry forward parts of their tradition they want to, and at the same time, get access to education and communication and things that they want and absolutely have every right to. So that's where this idea of social entrepreneurship came in of they're nice ideas, yeah. they're nice values, but if we don't have tangible businesses mm-hmm. and real economic opportunities for these people, the rest of it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it was a great bridge as well with my background in uh, language and yeah. religious studies of I saw building this business really as a type of poetry in a way mm. where it's actually the most concrete thing. We sell a product that carries oh, yes. a story of a people and an yes. identity and it comes from a place yeah. and it's such a tangible way to share a story. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the leaf yeah. and all that. We're going to talk about that, yeah, the yeah. master. We're going to talk about that master plan and all that. Yeah. But no, I was, yeah, but no, what you're saying is great because you're, you were, you're, I love the parts of the book were so great because you actually shared the stories and the philosophies of a shaman. Mm-hmm. Um, the elders, because it reminded me reading it, because I come from family who are Indian descent and things like that, and I remember just learning some of the things as a kid of how things are really simple. Yeah, they're really profound. Mm-hmm. The lessons you're learning, they're because because you're in the jungle, you're literally everything is everything is present. You have to be fully present. Mm-hmm. That's what I got about this book too. That mm-hmm. the whole time you're being forced to be present. Yeah, absolutely. Whether you liked it or not. Whether you like it or not. Yeah, that's the key. That's the key caveat to that one. That's what I'm saying. This book is it shows you his struggles. It tells yeah. you his struggles. You have to read yeah. the book to get in it, but it tells you your struggle. And I related to that. Mm. It's like there's sometimes I don't want to be fully present for this mm-hmm. thing, but I kinda have to to get through. And yeah. when you're there, there's not all the big distractions mm-hmm. of Brooklyn yep. or Bay Area or Los Angeles. Right. It's it's very it's it's there and you're it's right there in your face in front of you. Mm-hmm. That thing right there is right in front of you. Yep. And I think for me what a lot of what I've learned is that what's there is not just the external world, but then it pulls all your internal stuff yes. right at the meeting point of those two things. Yes. Um, and I think this this task of encountering purpose and meaning, which for me came a lot through these shamanic traditions, yeah. is that meeting of those two worlds. And it's that vulnerability and that willingness to put yourself on the line and then say yes. I think that's a lot of it is mm-hmm. if you're a human, you're going to just naturally be in circumstances where... Yeah. It's going to be difficult. It's going to require you to be outside of your comfort zone. And so much of the time, it's not about figuring it out. It's about saying yes to what's what's clearly there for you. And the fact that you're saying that, it's funny. How many books out there are on yes? Shonda mm-hmm. Rhimes wrote the book on yes. Joel Osteen wrote the book on yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, all, with Brentley Frankel, they're all about the yes thing. Yeah. And that really is a major thing, isn't it? Oh, about yeah. being present and saying yes to opportunity 
and saying yes to fear, saying mm-hmm. yes to everything. It really does change your life. Yeah. Oh, I, I fully agree. Yeah. That's, that's kind of crazy. Um, David Borstein's book, that was another, I guess, influence for you. Mm-hmm. After you talked to your friends, you kind of read his book, yep. How to Change the World, Social Entrepreneurs, and the Power of the New Idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was the first. So my my buddy Pat, my yeah. my friends at Brown basically said, "Oh, there's this idea of social business." And my friend Pat gave me this book, which I devoured in a single yes. night because it was just so resonant with yeah. what was percolating under the surface for me, and painted this really clear portrait of concrete ways to build organizations that are solving environmental challenges. And it's an amazing book, and you know, Rune is an example of a business like this where you don't need charity, you don't need governments, but there's a lot of solutions, not all of them, where you can use markets. And markets are an efficient, transparent way to create very meaningful relationships between yep. people, create income, and then allow people to support their families and create livelihoods. So that book was really critical for me to go from this, oh, that sounds really cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, it'd be nice if that was possible to know actually there's dozens and hundreds and thousands of amazing organizations doing this in ways that are profitable, that are sustainable, that are treating people in good ways. And it's amazing that we're living in a time now where that's no longer a fantasy, but it's a very practical reality. Because remember back in the day, it was like Kiva was back in the mm-hmm. day. Yeah. I joined them like years ago. I, I funded some people out there across the world. Yeah. Oh, they like twenty five dollars. You start out twenty five dollars and that helped me out. Totally. I thought it was a great. Like, but you're right. Back then, there was not, there wasn't much of that going on yet. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, I've interviewed people on my shows. Several that are social entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. They sell through merchandise and activism and yeah. you know and whatever it is. Going back to the communities, and that's why I like about you in this book. I really admire you because. As we get to it a little more, you really, really were like, I want to take what I've learned here and the people here mm-hmm. and bring them along for the ride. Absolutely. And that's also where, back to the prior question, we were forced to. Yeah. So the place that we stepped into, two days after graduating my degree in literary arts and my business partner's <laughs> degree in marine bio, we were okay. deep in the middle of the rainforest yeah. wanting to build a supply chain for a leaf that had never reached the market before. Yeah. So we didn't have anything else to lean into besides these traditions. So we were basically forced by our decision yeah. to lean into the spirit of this leaf, the teachings of these communities, and really building partnerships to yeah. listen, to study, to take what we call this liberal arts approach to yes. business, to <laughs> just learn. And we knew how to learn. We were active students. We yeah. really respected these people. And it was that uh, that approach that we, we were sort of forced into that created the fertile ground that a lot of the early support and resources yeah. and help and traction came from. Okay, I'm going to ask you a tough question. Let's do it. Do it. Hit it. Because it's, it's one of those questions that I did have. I was very curious because as a young white male mm-hmm. of, you're not, you're not rich or anything, but just like just have some privilege, I guess, or whatever. Before this, were you, first of all, were you exposed to a multiculturalism at all growing up? Um, to a certain extent. You know, I grew up in the Bay Area. Um, you know, I, I grew up okay, in like yeah. well, a nice suburb, so yes. I was like isolated that way. Um, my grandparents were Quakers. Um, yeah. So the Quaker values of social responsibility yeah. and community service were like pretty present across mm-hmm. everything that we did. Um, my half sisters, half African American, grew up in Oakland, oh, and had okay. a had a lot of experiences. And she was she's uh, fifteen years older than okay. me, and pretty early just kind of like took me under the wing and would send okay. me like when I was like fifteen, sixteen, had me reading like Bell Hooks and like wow, okay, like okay. a lot of like oh, okay. super progressive like hard. We are family then, okay. yeah, yeah. yes, um, <laughs> yes. So she was definitely an inspiration to me. Okay. Um, and was just good exposure out of, like, suburban bubble. Uh, and then I think part of it, there's definitely, like, a wanderlust streak in my family. Okay. Uh, and my grandfather, you know, in, like, the 30s and 40s, would travel around the world as an oh. educator. and oh, okay. uh, So I think that spirit of just, like, curiosity okay. as much as anything. Um, and I think, for me, that fed into multiculturalism. And- because I was wondering, because, because I'm glad you explained this, because it's just on the outside, it seemed like, where this white boy become, you know, going to the jungle? <laughs> yeah. And like, how does how does the connection? Not saying you can't do that. Obviously, obviously you can do that. But not just saying that all people of color that's all they can do. But it's always curious because there's like, where's the connection for you? Like, mm-hmm. where did how did that? Because you went deeply into it. Yeah. And as and so now you've made some. Now I see some of the bench work that happened. I think that was some like the stuff around the edges. And then yeah. for whatever reason, like the Amazon really spoke to me. Um, I remember like when I was super young, I saw like, first time I saw a map of South America. I pointed to Ecuador and told my mom like, wow. I want to go there. And I'm a bit, like, vague, vague yeah, old yeah. memory, but I think, I don't know, it makes me question a lot of how we're wired in life yeah, and where yeah, a lot yeah. of our own threads come from that definitely in a lot of cases come from our circumstances and imprinting, yeah. and for other reasons, we just come with our own weird ideas of how we're going to live Ecuador, life. I so far, like, Ecuador, like, I mean, there's yeah. a million places, but it's true, I know people who 
are drawn somewhere they go that they feel right at home. Mm-hmm. I've, I've had friends go to Amsterdam that happened to them, or in France, or, yeah. or the Caribbean. They, they, they say, they, I've always wanted to go there. I get there, and it, it just fits like a mm-hmm. glove. Yeah. So was Ecuador that for you? Well, so it was Peru first in college. Okay. Um, and part of it, too. So you know, I talk about in the book how even from a pretty early age, I started developing different levels of like existential yeah. anxiety. And yeah, so in yeah. high school, got interested in like lucid dreaming oh, and then yeah. used Taoist meditation <laughs> to get good at soccer, like things that I just never yeah. expected, but sort of came in there. Yeah. And I think a lot of that openness and that questioning of there's so much more going on than yeah. anyone around me is talking about. Definitely not in my family. Definitely not in school. <laughs> and when I went to the Amazon, these are people who live in that world between yeah. dreams and, and our oh, physical yeah, reality. Yeah. And their attention and sophistication and reverence in really practical yeah. ways for the subtle natures of our mind and our spirits and our dreams yeah. and our environments. It felt like things which I'd, I'd sensed and was curious about. Like these people, they live there. That's, yeah. that's how their languages are designed. That's how yeah. they relate to each other. That's yeah. how they get up every morning. So I think that, that resonance of that um, awareness and commitment to the subtler layers of life felt like it, it just matched up with some of the things and my own you're amazing I, 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 you know you're, you're, I'm already sold on you already you're amazing you read this book and now meeting in person I'm like you are you, you have it you have it down um, and well, from, well, well I'll call myself out I'll take that I'll, I'll say, take no, that. you're amazing <laughs> you're amazing and, and the thing you know, is he here for me as, as I'm a generation ahead, away from you or maybe two um, I worry about sometimes the younger generation mm-hmm. um, I think I have daughters your age I'm sure mm-hmm. and, I, and I always worry about what's going to continue on reading your book and knowing how young you were when you were doing this made me smile mm-hmm. I was like, good, is somebody out there who's searching for more and searching within yeah. at the same time? Yeah, I think it's something I think about as well. And I do bring it back to this whole thing of being comfortable with the unknown and our willingness to be uncomfortable. Yeah. And it's something that I think the younger generations were just not that exposed to. And I think technology really encases us from. So I'm really into different ways for young people we can facilitate immersive, challenging experiences. So, for example, there's a great organization I love called Global Citizen Year, which is helping people. Familiar, kind of. They're helping people take gap years between high school and college. Okay. And to go to foreign countries and be okay. a service and really be supportive of that feeling yeah. of uncertainty to go explore an adventure. Or, um, you know, another friend of mine does uh, wilderness immersion trips wow. for kids in the inner city and people wow. in the summer to get them into environments and experiences oh, to get God. access to themselves in the natural world. So <clears throat> that's where I think, like, you know, reading things and talking about things is helpful. I'm a big fan of like how we get people like over the yes. edge and then, cause once you're there, it's uncomfortable, but then people get the, Whoa. Yeah. Okay. Like, I think it takes a lot of, um, pushing on yes. edges yes. to have some of those deeper layers come up. And it really does. You really do learn. I mean, I remember my first time, I mean, I speak Spanish, but my first time going to a fully Spanish speaking country and I was by myself mm. Um, I learned a lot, yeah. Um, and it really did open up my mind. And I came home still dreaming in Spanish. It was mm. kind of funny because mm. I was forced to really do it. When I went to Montreal, mm-hmm. there were parts of Montreal that were just French. Yeah. I was trying to figure out the, the subway. I was like, um, <laughs> but I figured it out. Yeah, there's a sense of accomplishment when you do that. Because nowadays, I'm going to say it. I don't care. There are a lot of lazy people out there who just lazily yeah. go through life. Mm-hmm. And at least when you get to situations like this, you're forced to really use your resources. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think it's also something I love in the jungle and even Latin America where people are so resourceful. Like, it's just a lot of the way of life. Like, there's an inherent resourcefulness to (laughs) life. You just figure stuff out. And in indigenous communities, when their bank, their insurance system, Mm. all of it is the community. There's no institutions. There's no one else providing loans or anything like that. So you need help. It's, It's the people around you. And that makes you... Pretty darn resourceful. You can give me do anything. I think you can give me do anything. You're just you're so come, come down to Ecuador. We'll uh, we'll have some fun. God, I, 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 right right now I'm like saying yes. I would love to. <laughs> I would love to. I don't know what I would do, but I would love. To. I would. I, I almost want to. Honestly, open invitation. We love we love having people down. It's it's fun adventures when we get down there. We'll talk. Yeah. We'll talk. All right, cool. Well, I think that's something yeah. interesting. Uh, so you can't do anything. Okay, so okay. Another question I want to ask, just because it's just my own curiosity. When you're there in the jungle. How is it, like, hygienically, when you're used to American way, how did you kind of 
you know, sleeping wise. Because I know sometimes when I go to the Midwest and it's so quiet at night, like it's just like there's no sound. I'm like, I'm wide awake. I yeah. hear everything, but there's nothing yeah. happening. It's kind of weird. Yeah. It'll take me a few days before I can actually sleep soundly. Uh-huh. And I sleep really good after that. Yeah. How is it? I just want to some of the logistical thing. Like, how is it when you're in the one here down there? The bugs. <sighs> it's it's a dance. <laughs> it's a dance. Um. Uh, it's a dance. I mean, I think it's a mix of listening to your body and just surrendering. Okay. I mean, I think it depends on your intention, right? Like, okay. so if I go down for three or four days, I'm much more protective. Like, for example, oh, the communities drink this stuff called chicha. You, do you uh, know what chicha no. is? So chicha is uh, <laughs> the women, they chew uh, yuca root, manioc Oh, yuca. I love yuca. Yeah. So they, they chew raw yuca and they spit it into vats and let it ferment. And they drink it. It's uh, it's like a delicacy and like a staple okay. of most okay. of the tribes in the Amazon. Okay. It tastes somewhere like rotten milk meets spoiled kombucha, oh. um, but then kind of sweet. It actually like there's a there's something surprisingly tasty. Okay, about it. okay. But for obvious reasons, it's not necessarily the most <laughs> microbially sound thing for someone who's not used to uh, not used to that. Um, and I so that's one of the things where like it's very traditional to drink it and like part of me actually loves drinking when I was in the communities. Okay. If my system's not adjusted to it and I'm there for a short time, like just no I won't drink it yeah. because it's gonna cause yeah. some issues for me. Yes, I'm serious. Um, yes. At the same time if you're saying, hey I'm gonna be here for a long time, then you're kinda just saying, all right, I'm gonna get sick. Like I'm yes. gonna get sick a little bit and, and have myself adjust. Um, yes. but like anything, I mean I think it's a good question to surround this idea of when we're pushing our edges to try and do it in as graceful of ways as possible. Yeah, that's what I figured too. You know, yeah. so it's like, you can be like, oh, I'll just do anything and then get crazy sick. Like, that that works. I've done that. Like, okay, that's one way that. to do it. <laughs> but then there's also like, all right, how can I like test my edges a bit, do things slowly, push a little further. And generally over time, I found that that, that strategy for just about anything, but even just yeah. uh, acclimatization in the Amazon works much better. Wow. Okay, that's, that's, I was I was curious about that. I'm like, that would never stop me from doing anything. But I was just curious, like how just the the the, the, the everyday life while you're there, some of the things that some of the creature comforts we're used to, yeah, that in in, in other worlds that's taken away, of course. And so I like the way you I like to use yeah. the word graceful. You have to be kind of graceful about it, not like, oh my god, where's where's I I need, I need a coke or something yeah. like. I mean, like it's just kind of like you don't right. do that, yeah. Or if there's like you know little things that also give you some comfort, like bring those along. I mean, it's oh, yeah, sure. you know trying to trying to just feel it out. I guess that's true. Okay, so let's talk about the actual, okay, the product. So you found the master plans. Yeah. <laughs> and, and okay, I don't know how to pronounce it. That's why I haven't said it. Let, let's, let's give it your best shot. Well, you only give my best shot. <laughs> yeah. Okay, because I, I am, I have half Latino, yeah. so I'm trying to see how I get this. I was thinking Guayusa. Hey. Oh, yeah, see, my Latino, let's go there. Yeah. So, okay, so Guayusa, it's a, yeah. master, it's a, it's a tea leaf, and... How, so tell people how you came across yeah. it and that kind of stuff. So, uh, so Guayusa is the name of the leaf. Uh, sometimes we joke, we say Guayu so happy is an easy way to remember it. <laughs> Super kitschy and stupid, oh, no, but it actually, it actually yes. works. So, uh, so Guayusa is a leaf. Um, it's brewed like tea, but it's not actually related to normal tea. So okay. like green tea and black tea come from the same plant. Right. Guayusa is a whole different type oh, of ballgame. Okay. Um, so functionally, it's a mix of, or it has a natural mix of caffeine and antioxidants, which give you this kind of what we call like a focused energy. Um, for me, when I first drank it, I was kind of scared because I'm generally yeah. pretty caffeine sensitive. Me too. But it felt like it was more like holding me up from behind and helping me feel oh, more awake okay. and lucid than the like monster drinks yeah, that yeah, kind of Red Bull punch in the face. <laughs> so a lot of it, like I think it's great. Like we drink it a lot, and people drink it at, like 10 a.m. or 2 p.m. So okay. it's great that kind of like late morning, early afternoon yes, sort of energy boost. Yeah. Um, and the communities in Ecuador, the way they drink it, the whole community gets up at three in the morning. Three in the morning, uh, they sit okay. around the fire and boil these huge clay pots full of the guayusa leaves, and sit around and drink uh, drink gourds of it, and oh. interpret dreams, tell stories. It's a really central part of their culture. Wow! And the indigenous group we work with, the Quechua people, for them, guayusa is their like their their everything. Plant. Yeah, okay. um, you know they use hundreds of plants for healing and yes. food and everything. Yeah. But for them, guayusa it's like the defining part of who they are as people right they say it's the lifeblood of their people right. and their ancestors so it has incredible importance for them and their traditions and the way that they live in the rainforest so for us a lot of our our process then was how do you bridge these gaps of this yes. revered powerful plant to consumer products on the shelves yes. of whole foods no and, and he and he talks about it and to me it's amazing i mean i, I, mean, just, I keep saying the word amazing but like literally that you're like wow they actually did this from the jungle, like literally from the jungles of the Amazon, you it, created a business. It took it took some finagling. Oh, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, but, 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 I, mean, I read the books, so I know. Yeah. But I'm just saying, that just in general, you should feel really, really good about that. That just that you 
you took something that's from the jungle and now it's a growing business and you're also still helping the jungle. Yeah. Well, here's one of the ways I would possibly twist that is that you could argue okay. that potentially this leaf took us and took okay. us on its journey of getting here. And I think a lot of my lessons have been around, I mean, I would almost say it's in some ways more of like a feminine approach to entrepreneurship. Oh, what do you mean for me, lack of a better word, where I think so much of our iconography and definition of entrepreneurship is this like hard charging, oh, yes, okay. like, masculine, masculine. like masculine, like okay. this is my business, this is my vision, like yeah, all yeah. this. As I like really deeply reflect on what happened, it felt more like I opened myself to things down there. I was affected by things and then wanted to be of service and wanted to follow the meaning that was there. And this leaf sort of presented itself and has this attitude of right. wanting to be shared and wanting to be respected wow. and wanting to represent these people in the Amazon in a good way. And in a lot of ways, it, it you know, this is whatever, metaphorical. And I, love, I love it. I love it. It feels like our a lot of our job was kind of facilitating and sharing. Okay. You were the conduit. You know, yeah, like this wisdom and this plant and doing yeah. that in a respectful way. And I think I've actually gotten in a lot of issues the times where I'm like, my business, oh. my vision, like that mode of thinking. Yeah. And I think there's there's been a lot of teaching and learning for me in that process. Of you can't help it. You're a man. Kind of so reframing you're, it. Yeah, you're framing it. Yeah. You're a man. Like, yeah. things, sometimes, sometimes, we have to, sometimes we have to break down our old, just what comes to our brains yeah. to find new, like, new ideas yeah. and new way of thinking. And one of the things with, with Guayus as a plant, in the Amazon they often characterize plants as more like masculine or feminine. Mm -hmm, of course, you know, they're yeah. kind of metaphorical way of yeah. understanding it. Um, and what's interesting is Guayus, it's a caffeinated, energizing plant that has a very strong spirit, but they actually identify it as being more of a feminine plant. Interesting. And in many ways it's almost this like sort of masculine presentation of what is like a really feminine right. energy because it's, it's spirit is very nourishing and very connected yeah. to the heart and the spirit. But the presentation of it is this like activating, See? excited, like life force energy to it. We're using both sides. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's nothing better than being able to use both our feminine and masculine sides to create something. Yep. Agreed. I just think that's so, so wonderful. So, I mean, okay. So you are you do social entrepreneurism. You have the leaf. Well, just tell people kind of how you decide to make it an energy drink and not like something else. I mean, I mean, it could be anything. It could have been a soap or something. I mean, whatever. But you decide to do that because they make it as tea there, obviously. But you chose to do it another kind of way. So there's a funny story in the book about us uh, riffing on some like hilarious ideas yes. around how to bring this to market. But ultimately, we saw it as what we envision as the most dramatically different product opportunity for Guayusa. So we read this great entrepreneurship book by this author, Doug Hall, and he. Um, talks about how any product you bring to market needs to have a dramatic difference. Yes. And to me, it's actually one of the most consistent pieces of advice I give to other entrepreneurs. If you're thinking about a product or a service you want to offer, if it's slightly different from something on the market or basically the same thing, everything's so competitive, good luck, basically. Yeah. So what can we do that was truly different than other things? So as an energy drink, we sell a product that is from a leaf, not a lab. So like compared that. to Monster and Red Bull, we have an energy source which is 100% natural. Yeah comes from a leaf in the Amazon and has all the functional benefits for energy. So that dramatically yeah. different story yeah. of we're trying to basically redefine what energy means in the market is really bold and really different. And we're selling a product that's the same price as a Red Bull. Yeah. So we can be really competitive and help people upgrade on function and health and the story without having to upgrade on price. Yeah, no, you, you, you do. I, I just think it's really, still I go back to this part that I just really like that the community is involved. Mm -hmm. And um, so, as you talk about the struggles in the book about that, but just tell people out there a little bit, it can be done because mm -hmm. you're doing it. Yeah. But it was tough to kind of like it figure that figure figure yeah. that out. Totally. Yeah. And so yeah. for us, the so part of what was cool about what we got to do is that it was very challenging that no one had ever commercially produced this leaf right. before. Right. So that I mean, we had to figure out how do you do everything that? from scratch. Yes. At the same time, it was an amazing innovation opportunity. Um, I'd worked a little bit with like fair trade and organic yes, chocolate you, you, and yes, coffee, so mm -hmm. um, and those are it's really great. People should buy organic and fair trade chocolate. Of course, of course. However, it's challenging because those industries are so entrenched in long histories of injustice. Yes. So you're trying to like yes. inch them better. Yes. With Guayu, so we have to say, all right, if this is the spectrum of like terrible business to like your ideal, let's just let's put the flag of what this industry is going to be defined by at the highest end of right. fair trade principles, community enterprise 
grown in the rainforest, organic, direct sourced, and make that the definition of what this is. Mm -hmm. So I think when we started with those values that were consistent with the values these communities have carried, it was an immediate linkage. Yeah. And then from that, that gave us the support and resourcefulness to figure out all the yeah. tactical and strategic pieces right. to get it going. And, and I guess I was assuming because you have this relationship with the community there that it was so, a little because you respect them. They see that you respect them. Mm -hmm. And they can make some money off of it, of course, too, in a good way. Yeah. It kind of was a good marriage, too, I'm sure. For sure. And I think it, it also goes back to the spirit of Guayusa, where they see this as a plant that is here to benefit humans. Mm -hmm. And it's actually a beautiful piece of kind of multicultural conversation where uh, a great memory I have is one of our investors came down to do, like, a due diligence trip to, like, check on things. Yeah, and, you know, we were taking around and showing them things. And at one point, they cornered a farmer when we weren't around to basically be like, mm -hmm. Hey, this is all great. And like two thumbs up, you're making right. money, like PR story, all great. But like, what do you really think about the fact that there are these like white people mm -hmm. in like America drinking your guys' sacred leaf as like a tea in the afternoon? Like what's up? Mm -hmm. And the farmer's <laughs> like, everyone should drink Guayusa. And he's like, okay, I get it. Like PR story. Everyone should oh, drink Guayusa. Right. But like, come yeah. on, like you're native. Like these are white people. Like it's a product. Like what's come on. Like, give me, give me the real story. And he's like, everyone should drink Guayusa. And the question literally didn't register because in his view, in their view, Guayusa is a gift to humans. Yes. And a big part of how they define themselves as Runa people, fully alive people, is being intercultural. Mm -hmm. And it's such an, a part of their sort of older history, kind yeah. of pre-colonization and all the atrocities and mm -hmm. uh, understandable protections that have come as a result of that. But there is that inherent desire to share. Um, and I think as we approach them with integrity and desire to collaborate, mm -hmm. they saw it as a great way to change this perception that we've had for a long time of, oh, indigenous people, like yeah. you don't have anything to contribute to the world. And what we're trying to say is actually that you do. your traditions are the very thing that you have to contribute to the world. And there's big, even high profile demand for exactly mm -hmm. that. There is. I just, it's going to be is because I just, I just, you know, there's times I, I feel like I want to just go down and just be hanging out for a while. Yeah. Like, not come back to America. Just, you guys. Let's do it. Uh, let's do it. I mean, because it's just, it's just, because there is, you are, we're, we're reminded. I mean, I'm here in Hollywood and, you know, you can cop and all this stuff, but I was telling you off camera, I have a garden. Just mm -hmm. something simple as that calms me down. Yeah. I have fruits and vegetables and I have a dog. I mean, like, but I have like this, I have this huge backyard and mm -hmm. my, my bougainvillea are growing and they're beautiful and they're burgundy. And I'm just like, I feel, I just feel like a sense of being close to the, I like when I put my hands in the dirt. Mm -hmm. I always tell people, watching something grow from nothing to something, mm. it profoundly changes me. Mm. Yeah, I'm tending to something. I'm growing something. It's like those kind of basic things. And your book talks about a lot about that basic, just life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not the cars, not the this, not the that, the clothes. It's just like, this is basic life stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think the natural world, whether it's gardening or walking in nature or going for a hike, has so much to offer in, I think, very practical ways and also very unseen ways. Mm -hmm. And that's a big part of how the Amazonian people approach it is that there's so much else that happens behind the scenes that's not in the sort of minute front of our minds. Mm -hmm. um, particularly being immersed in nature, there's just a lot of um, spaciousness that occurs and spaciousness that then gets translated to our thoughts and our feelings and helps us integrate and digest mm -hmm. in that way. Um, one of the great examples, there's a tribe in Brazil, which is just a great example of this. Um, in their language, there's no words for left and right. The only ways they navigate space is upriver and downriver. Oh, wow. So if you really think about it, it's actually pretty profound, which means that any sense of personal space isolated from the environment is actually inconceivable. Like, they don't have a way to, like, think about or relate to this idea of, like, isolated space and navigating yeah. isolatedly. Their definition is all in the environment. Wow. And if you think about it, like the repercussions of that is just one small example yeah. are actually really paramount. I think there's so many ways that we through gardening, through hiking, yeah. through meditating, through whatever can take little bits of that to bring more of our identity and ourselves into the world around us. I love this. So you're, you're a good motivational speaker. You should be motivational speaking. You're really good. You too. Following your lead, man. I like, but, <laughs> but seriously, because this book, this book to me was a great example of a coming-of-age story. Hmm. And I, I, at first I'll say young men in their 20s should read this book. But I'll say women should read it, too. I think women should read it also because I think you'll find things in there for you, too, just still still, still coming of age. I mean, you came of age, yeah. so to speak. Yeah, I mean, one of the ways I like, I mean, this is overly ambitious, but I think, uh, <laughs> like, the Eat, Pray, Love yes, right. side of it, I yeah. think. And there's other books like that that have done a lot of that for women, and I haven't seen as much of that for men. Nope. And especially in the entrepreneurship space, most entrepreneurship books are like, 
I wrote, I started a business and sold it for a billion dollars. Right. And all the lessons there, and that's great. Right. But wanting to take some of that growth journey. That's why I liked your book. It said it wasn't just that. It wasn't just like, here's point one, two, three, four, five, how I got here. It was like, here's point one. Let me show you all that's going on in point one yeah. and how we got to that actual conclusion of point one. Then yeah. point, like, you really you spell it out. Yeah. I mean, I think also it was, it's also extremely nonlinear. And that's another thing that, is very Genius. Amazonian and very indigenous. Yeah. You know, we often think and want things to be like cut and dry. Right. And in the Amazon, they're more like sinuous than cut, and they're more like moist than they are dry. Yes. <laughs> so, I like that. Um, yeah. So I think a lot of my journey, and even historically, the last few years, I've seen people be like, "Oh, Rune and Tyler, like he had this perfect vision, started this company. It was all very linear and clear, which couldn't possibly be the, further yeah, from the truth." Like, no. It was really valuing the unexpected and unusual twists of life. I think you used this word earlier, which I use as well, of like the curiosities. Of just following curiosities mm-hmm. that then lead somewhere. It's like kind of step one, and then mm-hmm. who knows where step two is going to be. It's going to be somewhere, and then take that for what it is and, and see where it takes you. I always say curiosity, we get it as a kid. Mm-hmm. You get Well, I've raised two kids, so I know as a baby, you're curious. Small, young, small kid, you're curious. That's one thing you should never lose. Yeah, agreed. We lose it sometimes when we're adults. Yeah. But like, we shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Don't lose the curiosity because you never know. Even in this business, I've gotten because I was curious. Yeah, I've gotten things. You just don't. You don't know what's out there that could sure. lead you to somewhere that's just beautiful. Mm-hmm. And the point around that that I try and emphasize is that it's very practical as well. Mm-hmm. Like I look at our business and lots of other. You know, think about these stories of other businesses getting started. It is often those unusual things that then trigger the insight that then leads to something super powerful. Mm-hmm. So it's not just this like, oh, we should draw and be creative because it's nourishing on some level. Yeah. In my view, it's actually extremely practical. It's actually using the fullness of our faculties to get insight and exposure in a broad in a broad sense of it. Yeah. And then what that does to our power, our ability to think, our ability mm-hmm. to solve problems is meaningful, very meaningful. Oh, yes. Because yeah. you know, here's the deal, folks. What I do affects you. What you do affects this person. Everything that we, whether you know, whether you know Tyler or not, whether you know who I am or not, whatever we do does affect change in the world. I always feel like whether you know it or not, it affects you. Yeah. And so, to me, reading your book affected me. Hmm. Maybe go, oh, maybe think about a few things. Meaning, and, and now you're affecting change for other people. Now somebody's going to watch this. It may affect change. Like, there's a ripple effect. Hmm. That people don't always realize that happens. And I, I believe whether you see it or not, it's out there. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that interconnected approach and mindset is, is a very important one. Mindset's everything. Now, just on, a, on the purely um, entertainment side of this, uh, I'm reading somewhere that you have, you know, you're doing work with a purpose. You've got all that. But you have some investors. Yeah. We, we have some I mean, I mean, just, I mean just, you may have heard of these people a little bit. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you used to tell me um, Olivia Wilde, Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, excuse me. Oscar winner Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> and Mr. Magic, uh, Magic Mike himself, um, Tanning Tatum. Yeah. So we changed Tatum. I mean, like, how'd you get them involved? So it's honestly another great example of <laughs> us doing our thing, not okay. having any expectation or intention there, and having handfuls of weird synchronicities and coincidences building those relationships. Probably the best stories with, with Channing. I was up in uh, Connecticut with one of our other investors, an older Indian man, and he said, uh, you know, a friend of mine knows this guy, I think his name's uh, Tating Channing. I'm like, I think you mean Channing Tatum. He's like, oh yeah, I think that sounds right. Like, do you, do you think he could be helpful to the business? Oh my God. I'm like, mm-hmm, yeah, <laughs> probably if you want, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, all right, I'll talk to my friend Neil and he'll reach out to Channing. So his friend Neil called Channing and said, oh, you got to check out this stuff called Runa. Channing's like, oh, we live on Runa. Like Runa's our, Runa's oh. our jam. The reason being that they had to write the first Magic Mike, he and his yeah. business partner Reed, in like yeah. three weeks. So they basically just chugged Runa for three weeks to write oh the first God. Magic Mike. Um, then uh, Neil was like, oh, well, I'll introduce you to one of the co-founders, this guy Tyler Gage. To which Channing said, oh, yeah, nice try, Neil. Like, I'm not going not gonna to fall for that. Neil's like, what? He's like, come on, man, I'm not, not going to fall for that. The reason being that his big breakout movie, Step Up, his character's name that's r- oh, was Tyler God, Gage. That's right. Yeah. I so just, that. Totally forgot about that. Yes. Bizarre. Bizarre. Yeah. Bizarre. See, um, well, there's no coincidence. Yeah. Those things coincidence. True. Agreed. It all happens. It all happens yeah. for a reason. But then he's been, I mean, such an incredible supporter oh, of the business. You know, been good. down to Ecuador and Peru with us multiple oh, okay. times. Okay. Um, and the other thing I, I that's been really supportive about all these people is that they're professional storytellers. 
So think about what our business is, is we're trying to tell the story of this leaf and of this product. So to have people like that where, sure, they're celebrities, whatever, but they're storytellers. Their yeah. career and their art is storytelling. Yeah. So to have their support, and you know, we've designed products with Olivia Wilde and her team, and yeah. just to have fun and creative ways to, to do the core of the business. I want to do more. I want, I want to tell you, like, promote you to everybody. I want, I want everybody to know. This. I, just, I, really <laughs> I won't say it. no. I won't say no. I know, but I'm like, I, I'm seriously like, like, what else can I like, What else can I do to get them out there more on TV? I'm like, I got. I appreciate that. It's just because it, because I just, I just I really am a person. I say it's all my fans know this. My followers know this. I talk about the village. Hmm. We come. My cultures. We come from village mentality, where it was you know the village. You supported the elders and you, the younger people and. Everybody worked together mm-hmm. to make something happen. Yeah. You literally have done that. And so it, it speaks to me inwardly so mm-hmm. much about the village mentality, that mm-hmm. you come together to create something wonderful. Yeah. One of the cool ways we've built that into the business is anyone who works for Aruna, after they've been with us for a year, we give them an all-expenses-paid trip to the Amazon to wow. get up in the morning and drink tea with the farmers and kind of keep that, keep that cycle alive. So I always wow. get excited about ways we can like bring that value system back into just the incentive plans for employees and, and ways of operating day to day. Is it expensive to go to Ecuador? I'm, I'm really curious about that. Is that... Uh, so from LA, flights are probably like 800 bucks-ish, 800, well, 900. Okay. Um, and then in Ecuador, Ecuador's a not yeah. particularly expensive country. Yeah. So depending yeah. on how, you know, how much <laughs> to the nines you want to go. Um, but yeah, in the jungle, like Life's, life's pretty affordable. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sure. More affordable than Los Angeles. Yeah, no. Mm-mm. And the Bay Area. Different ballgame. I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. When, you, when you come back from a trip, when you, you go down there for a few days or for a week or have you come back, how easy for you, is it for you to adjust back to our life? You know, after hard? I spent the first couple of years in Ecuador building the business and then went back to New York to <laughs> yes. build the beverage company, <laughs> yes. I actually found that the more I went back and forth, the more I'd have more culture shock. Yeah, I'm sure. Like right? in a strange way, like the more I was doing it, the more I would sort of <laughs> see the contrast. And I talk about this a lot in the book. Like, yeah. It was a challenge. I mean, a lot of the book is about how I tried yeah, to choose yeah, those two. But early on, it's uh, it was definitely a challenge to go yeah. from like deep jungle to like working 20 hours it. a day in an I office believe. in Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, Nowadays, I think I've, I've, I think all these different layers of my life have really come together yeah. in beautiful ways where it feels more of like a, a well-stitched fabric that I stand on. Yeah. And I wouldn't say I get as much of the shock. And I think as things like the business are successful, these medical clinics we're building in Ecuador, like yeah, well, there's the yeah. more like the tangible pieces really come forward yeah. just out of the dream space and into everyday life. Yeah. Um, it feels less uh, destabilizing the transition back and forth. Well, also, then you also live in up, 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 upstate Washington. Like, you're, like, way upstate yeah. Washington. Yeah. So you have that, too. So you have, you know, a little bit of rural there, too. So that mm-hmm. must help a little bit, too, to go oh, there. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's been a really great transition to get mm-hmm. a little more spaciousness in yes. my environment to sure. settle a little bit, get a little more yeah. kind of breadth in my thinking. It makes sense to me that you left the bigger cities. I mean, to me, it makes sense. I can see that from reading your book, meeting you. Like, that makes sense. There's too much stuff around. Yeah, I don't think anyone's ever met me and been like, you seem like a New York City guy. Yeah, don't talk, no, you don't smell <laughs> like that at all. You don't smell like, you seriously do not smell like that at all, of course. Um, what is one of the things that you hope um, your business can really, really, really accomplish as you continue forward? So there's a few things. I mean, most concretely, our goal is to create income for the farming families in Ecuador. Okay. So we're creating hundreds of thousands of dollars a year for 3,000 families, and that's a great accomplishment so far. But I think it's really the tip of the iceberg of what we can do with the beverage business and as the products grow and as we scale. Yeah. So that's definitely one thing. Um, at the same time, though, I think we can be an example of ways to bring people together. And for me, like for us, it's been the Amazon and this leaf that's infuse a very different way of doing business but i really hope that the story and rune is an example of radically different ways we can think about how to build enterprises and not just Mm -hmm. the why and the inspiration or like all right let's use capitalism to do x right let's actually rethink about how we can organize ourselves how villages can come together incentive plans organizational structures investment structures Mm -hmm. there's a lot of really good stuff happening in that space and i think rune is a good example of that and ways we can tap into indigenous knowledge, local knowledge, local communities to just find new ways to solve problems. Um, and I hope like that, that uh, you know more happens in the Amazon, of course. Yeah. But if this story and Runa as a business can trigger and just support thinking like that more broadly, I will be a very happy person. I was saying, I mean, this could be you could take you know insert this country or insert. I mean, you can insert any if some place inspires you and you decide to go there. It may have to be the map be the Amazon. It could be anywhere. And you want to help that community? This is a, this is a template kind of to go through what can ha- what can happen, how you can do that. Yeah, and I think as well. I mean, 
so I, I essentially wrote a book at the intersection of shamanism and entrepreneurship, yeah, you did. which seems like which I wrote down here. A I was really, like, yeah. a really bizarre intersection right. of forces. But the core thrust between these two disciplines for me is how do you grow at your edge? It's really this question of when you're in difficult circumstances mm-hmm. as humans, personal circumstances where you work for somebody, whatever it is, like how do you use some of those lessons to navigate with the most integrity and the most success? So I think that's where the Amazon, even in entrepreneurship in general, have so much to offer any of us who are looking to solve issues and deal with whatever jungles we live in yep, of yes, many like different that. forms and, yes. and strata. Um, so I think that there's a lot from these disciplines that can teach all of us about how to live a bit more fully. I completely, I completely, I completely agree with this. And I could talk to you forever. I could too. I'm, I'm, down, I'm down to sit and chat for a while. This is I know this, we got a limited time. I, we have a limited time. I mean, yeah. this is crazy. I could talk to you forever. I mean, in all seriousness, I think what you're doing is wonderful. Thank you. I appreciate it. I think it's, I think, I thank God we have people like you out there who are giving back to the universe. Thank you. Well, the universe has given given a lot to me and given back to me is because I know you understand and you're doing yeah. your work too. I'm trying my I'm trying my best to I think thinking outside the box and doing your own and finding other ways to do things, not just what's been told. Because you always hear things, what's well, always been done this way. Mm-hmm. Well that that that's done now. Yeah. Nowadays you can you can figure out ways to do things. Yeah. I like this idea um, of being anti dogma, but not necessarily anti establishment. Yes. In the sense yeah. that, you know, I like this idea of like using institutions to redesign institutions so it's not like a rejecting oh this is all just screwed anyway it's like all right well let's the ways it's been done are kind of screwed but we still have to build really meaningful things that can support our families our communities the natural world and it's it's a serious job we have mm-hmm. to take um and use the tools and structures we have to rebuild things i'm the same way i assume i'm the same way. you're speaking my language i'm the same way good yeah i'm I, I feel it. work from within yeah. and like you don't have to destroy everything to do stuff just work from within and yeah tweak it a bit yeah yeah, yeah, I'm with you. That's I'm with you. But it's called Fully Alive, you guys. Okay, so where can they find the drinks and everything? Like, so, so that's that's a big point right there. And, and yeah. your website and all that kind of stuff. You can tell people. On, on... For sure. So you can find Runa products in Whole Foods and Safeway, Stop and Shop, uh, lots of natural food stores. Amazon.com, ironically, is a great great way to find Runa. Amazon.com <laughs> is one of our uh, our top retailers. You can get book, product, everything on, on Amazon as well. Our website is runa.org, R-U-N-A dot O-R-G. My website is tylergage.com if you want to learn more about different shenanigans that I'm up to. It's unicycle well. riding. Unicycle riding, all that sort why, of stuff. Okay, why, before we go, why unicycle? Where'd that come <laughs> so, from? So, uh, my dad growing up was uh, like an amateur clown. <laughs> what? Oh my God. Yeah, so, whenever when I was young, he had me riding like seven foot unicycles and the whole deal. See, you got, you, yeah. okay, wait, wait. You, you, have to come back, so you have to come back to one of my other shows because you have, like, it's, it's like you have a life. But even before the Amazon, it's very interesting. Strange. Yeah, strange is probably a fair description. Interesting. It's like interesting. We like, I like interesting. I like that. I mean, you have a whole other, we have a whole other life in this music. But Tyler Gage is my guest today. Of course, get this book fully alive. This is the book. Get it. Get it. Get it. Get it. And that's like, it's really pretty. It's, it's with some of the elders, right? They are, yeah. Yeah, some of the elders on there. That's with your friends. So we love that. Go, go you can find it anywhere. Get it. Um, and if you, if you like it, tell me about it. Tell me what you think about the book. Let me know. I'll pass all the, 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 the comments to him. Please. If you want, if you want to get in touch with him on some level, contact me and I'll get you in touch with him if you need to do that also. Maybe Please. I'll be in Ecuador when he stays with him. Who yeah, knows? Let's do it. Then we're going to do it. I think I'm, I'm a little fearful, but I'm ready to walk through the fear. There you go. That's, the way. That's the way. Here on Bookstore Online, we have a bunch, a bunch of bunch of interviews. I do a bunch of them here for them. You go to iTunes, go to SoundCloud, go to YouTube. You can download them and listen to them, or you can watch them on video. So go there. Bookstore Online. All the interviews are here. This one will be on there too. This will also be on my social media pages. I'm at James Law Jr. where all James Law Juniors are sold. I mean, just type my name up and I just pop up everywhere. Not at your house, but I pop up everywhere <laughs> else on your computer. Um, and it's just James Lodge Jr. everywhere across the board. And I want to thank you for so much for watching us. Thank you for being on the show. Thanks, James. I appreciate and it. And get come, get come again next time. Love to. And I will see you guys next time. From managing editor Jason Squamata, executive producers Maria Menunos, Phil Svitek, and Kevin Undergaro, we would like to thank you for tuning in to Book Circle Online. For more discussion, go to bookcircleonline.com. And if you have comments, questions, or book title suggestions, write us at info at bookcircleonline.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this is Book Circle Online. BCO, join the circle.